Let's refresh this real quick. We're studying dispensations. Dispensations are the idea, the understanding, that God has systematically revealed various facets of Himself and His expectations for His creation from Genesis to Revelation. The $5 phrase for that is progressive revelation. As you go along, you end up learning more about God as you go. And what's interesting is, is you find that the very first thing that is put before us is the idea of rulership and dominion. God is a king. He is a king, not just of the supernatural, but He's also a king of the natural. In fact, I would say as far as God is concerned, there's really not a difference between the two. He sees it all as total truth, and He doesn't dare separate them because they're all a creation from His desire, His mind, His design, all of it. And so what we see is that God is giving this mandate and these facets of responsibility to us as the human race of which to uphold by obeying Him. And in doing so, blessing comes from obeying. But then when failure comes about, there's tragedy. And we see this narrated all throughout Scripture time and time again. So the main text we've been dealing with is Ephesians. And when we come into Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is doing a lot of explaining. In fact, he packed so much dynamite into about 11 verses, 12 verses, that I felt like it was important for us to stop, slow down, unpack exactly what he's talking about. So let me give you the Ephesians 3 reasons as to why we would possibly be in Genesis 9. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now that's a brand new thing at this time. We don't understand this completely, but the racial wars were hot at that time, and Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles is anybody that's not a Jew. Didn't matter who they were, they just hated their guts. We're going to figure out, especially next week, the reason why all this kind of formed out the way that it did. But Paul is a minister to the Gentiles on behalf of Christ. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship, what is the word, church? It's the dispensation. So depending on your translation of the Bible, how they've chosen to do it, oh, why is it doing this to me? It's just not going to work. And I can't even erase it. There we go. See, you've got to write in all caps and then it listens to you. That's how it works. The dispensation of God's grace, which He's given to me for you, that by revelation, now remember what revelation is. It is the tada moment, okay? It's the idea of pulling something back that was previously concealed and now it's become known. That by the revelation there was made known to me the mystery. Mystery. Something that's always been true, previously hidden, but God has a point in time of which He wants to make it known because He's trying to drive home a reason. Again, the revelation is unfolding. It's progressing. As I wrote before in brief, he's talking about earlier in the letter, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. So in other words, when the church came along, and this brand new one man, is the idea that he uses, the picture that he paints, comes along, God is doing something new in that he's taking the Jew, and he's taking the Gentile, and he's bringing them into a brand new entity that has never been named before. 
It's not that believing Jews all of a sudden become an extension of Israel. God's got another plan for that. So that's not what's going on here. The church is not the new Israel or anything like that. It's now been revealed, notice this, to his holy apostles and prophets. And this right here is the summation of what we're going to be looking at as the New Testament. Notice it was in the Spirit. Why? Because all revelation has to be revealed by the Spirit of God. That's how things like inspiration of Scripture happens. Now, if you fast forward to verse 11 and 12, this was in accordance with the eternal, the age-lasting purpose, which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. So God is choosing to work in various ways at various times with a group of people, and at every time, it's justifying one great point. And here's what it is. Hold on to your hats, patriots, okay? Not New England patriots, okay? Making sure. Independence is a sin. Understand this. Independence is a sin. The idea that we would ever live one moment apart from the Word of God speaking into our lives, following His directive, desirous to set ourselves aside and to say, Lord, whatever you want is the best thing that could happen. Sometimes we get so caught up on my rights and me having my say that we've become so independent that we'll very well tell God to sit in a chair and leave you alone so you can do what you want. That's a sin. Understand this. Now, am I speaking against the fact that we needed independence from England? No. But we should have stayed on the track of worshiping God alone and exalting Jesus Christ always. How do we know that independence is a sin? Check out the life of Jesus Christ. I did not come to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. That's all that Jesus did. All that Jesus did was everything that God wanted. And that is the responsibility that is set forward in these dispensations. Now, if that rubs you wrong that I said it that way, that's cool. My email address is on the back of the bulletin. Send me one, okay? And let's talk about it. But think about it and pray about it first. I have never found more trouble in my life than I, when I let my mind, will, and emotions operate apart from the Word of God. That's the greatest problem. Why is it? Because I want to do what I want to do, and I want what I want. Because I'm selfish and greedy. I should be beaten with sticks. That's why. That's my issue. And here's the sad thing is I know better. I know better. God's Word's not changed. But I'm such a fickle creature. Gosh, I need the Word of God to correct me every time. So what is our working definition of a dispensation? It's a period of time during which God is testing man's ability to govern the earth. God is glorified in the heavens. And when He made the earth, for some reason, He felt the need to put it forward and to say, here, you steward this. You take care of this. It's mine, but I'm entrusting it to you. Where's Laverne? Where is Laverne? Oh, he's in children's church. I still have his pen. I took care of it. It looks as good as when he gave it to me. I'm just letting you know. I'm stewarding it well. Okay? There's a pattern in dispensationalism. God is going to give a responsibility to His creation, to His people. The problem is, is that every time we get the responsibility, we decide that what God wanted to do was not the coolest thing that we could have done. 
And so we re-rationalize it into something that we want to do. And when we do, we end up failing because God is the standard and God sets the standard. Because God is holy and righteous, He has to judge. He has to bring this failure to justice. Recognize this. Judgment, the outpouring of His wrath, is not something that is contradictory to grace. How do we know this? Because if He was to pour out His judgment and wrath, Regarding sin and failure, it should have been poured out on me because I'm the one who sinned and failed. Everybody see that? The grace comes when he said, it's got to be paid for, but instead I'm going to pour it out on my son. There's the grace involved. So judgment has to be met in this situation. Otherwise, God would not be esteemed as holy. But what's interesting is, is on the other side of this, he always provides an area of grace in order to move people forward to obey his will. And so let me give you a for instance. Last week, we saw what was called the dispensation of conscience. First, we dealt with innocence. Adam and Eve running around, happy as can be, naked in the garden, having a good time, throwing parties, whatever it was, hanging out with God, having fellowship, enjoying His presence. Everything is great. And then all of a sudden, they decided they would do what they wanted to do rather than what God asked them to do. They decided to make an independent choice. And when they made a choice that was independent, sin is what takes place. Now, they have this understanding of what is good and what is evil. And now in the dispensation of conscience, the stewardship of conscience, they're commanded, live according to right and wrong. You know it, now just choose it. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Seems as simple as can be. So, what's the responsibility? Live by your conscience, choose to do good, respond to God's word. What was the problem? When God came to give His design assessment, when He looked into the hearts and minds of people, He said, all I can find is wickedness. All I can find is corruption. In fact, it says over and over, corruption, 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 and the violence of man was great on the earth. All we want to do is steal, kill, and destroy. That sounds like Satan, not God. Now don't play like we don't live in that world now. That's everything that societies are built on, bloodshed. All the time. So this isn't something that's like irrelevant. It doesn't speak today. It totally does because it's using the universal standards that God has set. What's the judgment? This is what brings about the flood of the entire earth. And again, if you want to see the blueprints of the ark, just ask Doug. He'll show them to you. Grace. What is the grace? Well, Noah was righteous. He walked with God. But there was also something about his genetics of which he was unspotted by what Satan was trying to do in bringing the sons of God to the daughters of men, and cohabiting and having this giant, amazing race uh, of people who were pretty much terrorizers at that time. You say, what just happened? Listen to last week's sermon. We'll go over that again, okay? So, the Lord brings Noah and his family safely through the judgment, and he makes a covenant with the entire world. He will never flood the world again and destroy it. So the question we asked is, is, are we able to govern ourselves according to our consciences? It's impossible. Can't do it. When left up to ourselves, we will not uphold the responsibility, nor can we be faithful to what God has asked. Here's the third dispensation, expansion. Some of you have probably heard this commonly called human government. I'm not calling it human government on purpose because the mandate that is violated is the refusal to go out and fill up the earth. John and Kathy brought up a great verse from Acts 17. He put us on the earth and He told us to fill it. Not just hang out. 
Sometimes we got some people that are talking about we have an overcrowding problem. We don't. Everybody just needs to spread out. Some of you introverts are like, praise God, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Everybody spread out, right? It's okay. So how do we look at this? Well, number one, the responsibility. What is the entrusted authority? What is, what is put in man's hands to be responsible with? Look at chapter 9 of Genesis. We'll start in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, they're off the ark, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Pause. Have we heard this before? Where? Genesis 1. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have, does anybody remember? Dominion. Does everybody notice that have dominion is absent here? Everybody see that? Why doesn't he repeat it? Here's the reason why. It's because Adam and Eve exist in a sinless state. They have the capacity to sin, obviously, because they did sin. But at that time, they had no sin. So they're operating in perfection. Well, only root... I don't want to say this so it's not misconstrued. Rulership will never be perfect unless it's issued from a perfect ruler. You know? Some of us are all up in arms and just, I don't know, as bitter as can be about the state of our nation and our president. He's a guy. What did we expect? You know? Some of you ladies are like, yeah. Okay? Hillary wasn't going to do better. Everybody calm down. But, but seriously, imperfections all over the place. The warts seem to be a little bit more noticeable in a situation like that. Anytime we're expecting perfection in this, and, I, and here's what I hear, he's so dumb, how come he did Well, how would you have done in that position? Better? Well, yeah. Hey, glad you're at church today. Moving on. So notice what happens. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the earth and all the fish of the sea into your hand they're given. You guys know what this is? Catching deer. That's what this is. Yes? Where's Terry? Catching deer, brother. Yeah. Hunting season is open. How do you know this? Because you're walking through the park minding your own business and all of a sudden a squirrel's like, "Ah!" gone. Where did that come from? Genesis 9-2, don't forget it. If you don't shoot fast enough, you're going to miss it. That's where this comes from. Isn't this different from Genesis 1? You're going to rule over all the beasts and the creeping things and the fish. It almost seemed like we're just going to walk willy-nilly along there and you know, I've got my pet dog and my pet koala bear. It doesn't matter. Not anymore. Something about this idea of man's relationship to created animals completely changes in this situation now that they're off the ark. God's doing something different. He's doing something new. That's what makes this a different dispensation. Now watch this. Go back and think. In the Trinity, God says, let us make our uh, let make man in our image according to our likeness. This is Genesis 1, 26-28. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, rule over birds of the sky, over cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Seemed like a pretty simple, we're having dominion over the created things. They've been placed in our stead of stewardship. This is probably why Adam was given the opportunity to name all the animals. God created man in his own image. No one else was created like that. Remember, 
We are the pinnacle creation of God. In the image of God, He created Him. Singular. Male. Female. He created them. And notice that they here in a perfect environment are equals. There's no threat and no problem there and no ego to be had. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Ah, sounds like 9-1 stuff. Here's a problem. Where is this at? Subdue it. Rule over it. Where is that at? Rule over the fish. The fish are scared to death with me. I've been Noah's been out there all day. He hadn't caught a thing. Some of us can relate to that, right? Did I ever tell you about the time I went fishing? Man, my grandfather passed away. I was so sad. So close to him. He was the one who took me fishing for the first time. And so when he passed, I ended up getting his tackle box and his reel. And I'm feeling all down about everything. Well, let's go out there and let's use it. He'd want you out there fishing. My friend's trying to talk to me, you know, whatever. Trying to get me out of this funk that I'm in. So I go out there and I'm taking all this time. Like, what do you think's in here? Oh, we think this. You should use this kind of bait. We're going through all this stuff. And he has like, some of you guys have this. He has like a card catalog type of bait and tackle thing. You know, you open up the little lid and all of a sudden it's like, oh. Right? And you're like, there are 14 shelves of stuff in this. You know, so you're going through to see what all's going on. So I finally get it all done. I'm having this conversation, trying to make an intelligent decision because I'm sad. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm getting ready. And I was pretty good at at casting it out there. So I reel back like this, cast it like that out there. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And all of a sudden, it comes to the end of the string and it all just goes. And I'm sitting here and I look down at this and I said, Well, that was a good day. Packed up my stuff and I left. Forget it. Obviously, God didn't want a Charlie Brown moment in my life is what it was. It's terrible. So anyway, very different from this. I'm a Genesis 9 fisherman. Some of you guys are a Genesis 1 fisherman. That's okay. But this is a reason why the changes. Notice the change that we're seeing. Back to chapter 9, verse 3 and 4. Look what he says. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. Okay? I will give all to you. Don't play like you don't love it, okay? I love Christian vegetarians as well. I just don't think they're biblical. Moving on. As I gave the green plant. And if I remember that correctly, I think that's Genesis 1.29. So everybody was a herbivore before all of this was going down. Genesis 9, they come off the ark. Everybody can be a carnivore. All God's people said. Amen. Exactly. There you go. Now, here's the problem. It's a provision. You guys think about this. Those of you who like your steaks rare, I don't know. Pray about it. Okay? Only you shall not okay, eat flesh with its life. What does God equate to life? There's a whole theology about this all throughout the Bible, especially in regards to sacrifice for sin. When we talk about Jesus gave his life, what we're really talking about in God's terms is the shedding of his blood for us. God always equates the life of a created being with its blood, always. So, not to eat it with any blood that is in it whatsoever. Now watch this. Surely I will require your lifeblood. Notice how that's put together. Or the blood of your life, I think is how it's literally translated in the Hebrew. From every beast I will require it. So if a beast ends up killing a person, guess what? That beast is to be destroyed. And from every man, from every man's brother, Murder. I will require the life of man. What's the life? It's the blood. I will require it. 
Then he gives this in a poetic form. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. This is capital punishment. Notice it's to be used in the case of murder. That's the reason why. So obviously there's some sort of governance going on. This is the reason why a lot of people call this the dispensation of human government. But that's not really the mandate that gets violated here. Now notice there's an explanation. Here's your causal conjunction out here for. Tell me why. Tell me why this is. Here it is. In the image of God. This is what is known as the Imago Dei. And it's the idea of people being the pinnacle creation of God. He never made anything else in His image and likeness. For some reason, He felt the need to stop and pull back and create a ruling kingdom type of image and likeness person of which to share in rulership and to entrust the stewardship of His creation to. This is what makes every single human life special, valuable, worthy, worth fighting for. This is a reason why we've got such a problem with abortion. And why that's so messed up to be going in that direction. Now you guys know that I don't agree much with Catholics on anything, but I tell you what, they're beating the pants off of us as far as standing up for the unborn. We could stand to do so more and speak out for voices that don't have those. We should be advocating for life. Why should we do that? Because every life is precious. Every life is created in the image of God. doesn't matter what the circumstances it was under. It's a precious life. Notice, for in the image of God, He made man. Notice it brings it back to the fact that He's not just the designer, He's the creator. As for you, here's the repeat, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Notice, still no mandate to have dominion, to rule, none of that. So notice it is, populate the earth abundantly. You go back to chapter 9, verse 1, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. There's the mandate. And that's why this is the dispensation of expansion. The goal here is to spread out. The fact that you can eat meat and the fact that the sword of justice has been put in your hand for murder that's taken place is how you're going to operate in your society. But spread your society out and fill up my entire creation. Dispensation of innocence was probably regulated just to the Garden of Eden. But God's idea was is to bring it all into an expansion. That's why I'm calling it that. So where is the failure of this situation? Everybody turn over two chapters to Genesis 11 that takes place. And we're going to go back and forth between Genesis 11 and, and 10. Next week we're going to deal a lot with this because we're going to talk about how the dispensational problem is not just on earth, it's in heaven as well between warring demons and the Lord. We're going to do that next week, okay? So notice this. Now the whole earth, pay attention to this phrase. And I'm not going to get into all the linguistic structure and all this, but sometimes you can ask about that and check it out. Some of us have done that in some classes. The whole earth. Does everybody see this? Notice it's not talking about land. It's talking about people. Okay? Use the same language. And, same words. Well, there shouldn't be any confusion amongst those people, should there? They should just be getting along just dandy. No problems there. And it came about as they, stop for a second. It came about as who? They. The whole earth. 
journeyed east. Now, last time I checked my compass, there's also a north, south, and west, yes? Always east. In fact, if you look from Genesis 1 up until this point in Genesis 11, the idea of going east is always symbolic as well. Literally, they did this, yes, but it's also symbolic as well as going away from God. Whenever Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, not allowed to come back, they went out the east way. So check that out every time that you see it. It came about as they journeyed east that they, same folks, even though my circle won't stay, good grief. I might need that surface. I don't know. So they found a plain in the land of Shiner. They, same people, the whole earth, all people, in the land of Shiner. You say, where is that? Guess what? I got maps today. You guys are in luck. Here we go. Notice what they did and settled there. Does everybody see the failure? This one verse, or sorry, these two verses is enough to say they're not doing what God told them to do. They're doing what they want to do. Well, don't you know there's strength in numbers? There's also sin in numbers. Do what God told you to do. That's the message. It really is. They said to one another, now I can't help but to ask myself, where's God? How much different would this have been? And they stopped and they prayed. God, what do you want from my life in this moment? You know what he's going to say? I don't want you to settle there. Keep going. Spread out. Stop hanging out with each other. Do what I said. Have you ever gotten to that point, parents? Don't play. Everybody's silent. Stop it. Sometimes it's like, no, I need you to do this. And then finally you're like, I just need you to do what I'm saying. Just listen. Right? Love you, bud. My son's in here today. Love him to death. But that's a universal problem we all have. God is no different. God is saying, kids, spread out. Stop communicating diseases so clearly. They said to one another, come, let us, the whole world, make bricks and burn them thoroughly. I know, guys, now that we're settled here in this land, let's start a Lego project. That sounds good. So they use brick for stone, and they use tar. This is interesting. It's something called bitumen, but some of your translations will actually say slime. Just to let you know. Here's what they had to work with after the flood. They're going to use that as mortar to hold it all together. They said, come. Notice again. It's this kind of like, let's all go do it. Let's all get on this boat and ride it wherever it's going. Come, let us build for, here it is. Everybody see the independence. It won't even let me write it. Satan's in this thing. There it is. Independence. It'll let me squiggle, but it won't let me write it. Crazy. Let us build for ourselves a city. Pay attention. There's a city out here, okay? Now watch what it says. And a tower. What kind of tower, guys? Whose top will reach into heaven. There's a reason. Hold on to it. And let us, here we are again, make for ourselves independence, a name, city, tower, name. 
Why? Power. In fact, let's be honest. It's a foolish idea that somehow if we do this, we become more powerful. If we can just build this city and build this tower, make a name for ourselves, we want to become great. Pay attention, social media users, Hollywood followers. How is that gone for people? It's not. You got some people. Never mind, I'm not going there. Moving on. Otherwise, 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 pay attention to the thinking. Here's what I love about the Holy Spirit. It's recording everything, blemishes and all in the text for you. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And that is talking about land. Let's build a city. Let's build a tower. Let's make ourselves great so we don't have to do what God said. Those are some pretty big extents to be disobedient. That's not just one lie to cover up that lie that was that green lie that was that yellow lie that somehow we classified as a little white lie. This isn't the layers of deception. This is blatant. We're establishing something because we won't obey. I hope that you see the human heart coming forward on the pages here. Don't think that this is unusual for this time. Now, everybody take your Bible and turn back to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a, is, a, is a chapter that's known as the Table of Nations. Half of it takes place before this incident of the city tower in name, and half of it takes place after this incident happens, which, which we're going to see. Those of you who know the Tower of Babel is what we're dealing with idea. But, the, but, but what's going on behind the scenes? Chapter 10 tells us a lot of people skip over chapter 10 because they, they, they can't handle everything that's going on. Another genealogy? Pause, man. God doesn't waste words. So let me give you a reason why this might be important. Everybody see verse 2? The sons of Japheth, Japheth, there were Gomer, that's Germany, Magog, that's Russia, Madai, that's the Medes and the Persian races, Javan, that is Greece, Jubal, or sorry, Tubal, that's part of Russia as well, Meshach is part of Russia, and Tyrus is part of Italy. This is a reason why you need to know this is because God's Word is actually audacious enough to want to chronicle the origins of the countries that we see now and the people groups that we have. God's Word has no threat on that. Why? Because it's infallible and inerrant, and it's true, and He doesn't mind telling us about history and being right about it. He's God. But what I want you to see is verse 8. Now Cush, this became Ethiopia, became the father of Nimrod. You ever used that before? What a Nimrod! Right? I want to make a joke, but I'm not. Watch this. Watch what this is. The sons of Ham were Cush, and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. Okay, so this is the first generation after Ham. Ham's dad, Noah. In fact, he came through on the ark with him. Now, this first generation here became the father of Nimrod, second generation after the flood. He became a mighty one on the earth. He became a mighty one on the earth. Scholars don't fully know what this means, but the fact that he desired to be a man of renown seems to find close connection with the idea of the Nephilim that happened before the flood. Some people believe that he was a giant in that same strain. You say, well, how in the world could that be? Well, David fought Goliath, and that was well after the flood. 
So we know the existence of that going on. Satan doesn't do anything new or original, so he probably tried to taint the gene pool again and create the same kind of problems. Another thing is the fact that he was a mighty one on the earth. He's also described as a hunter before the Lord. Notice it says here in verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Therefore it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. They bring it up twice. Here's the reason why. It wasn't because you're now allowed to eat meat and everything's scared to death of you and you got to be a good shot. That's not the reason why it necessarily is. A lot of scholars believe that he was actually the first person that liked to hunt other people for sport. That he was that brutal of a character. That he was someone who was considered vicious and tyrannical in the way that he operated his life and the people around him. Now, here's what's interesting about Nimrod. Watch this. The beginning of his kingdom... You know what that's interesting about? It's the first mention in Scripture that this word ever comes up. Notice what it was. Babel. What does Babel later become? Babylon. Where is it now? Just northwest of the Persian Gulf, also known as Saudi Arabia. So if you're familiar with a guy named Saddam Hussein, it's in his region. Not only was it Babel and Eric and Akkad and Kalnel, they will say we're in the land of Shiner. Where did the whole world go to the east and settle? They settled in the land of Shiner. Now watch this. From that land, he went forth. That's strange. What, finding four cities and all that stuff wasn't enough fun for you? You had to do something? Something happened. And what happened? The Tower of Babel incident. God got involved and split it. Notice, from that land he went forth into Assyria and he built Nineveh. So for all you Jonah folks, now you know where that came from. And Rehoboth Ir and Kala and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. What did he do here? Notice this. He's down here and he creates Babel and Eric dealing in this. Here's the Persian Gulf right here. So when the, when the Tower of Babel incident comes and God splits up all of the languages, he's got to get with the people that can understand him if he's still going to be the dictator that he is exercising tyranny. And so what he does is he and the people migrate up here and they begin creating these cities after the division into tongues. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He wrote this, Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it were through his means. They were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage. Pay attention. Their own courage what procured happiness. Independence is a sin. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence upon His power. That's Nimrod being him. He also said that he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. So if God chose to destroy the world by a flood, Nimrod was going to stand up to him and not let him do it because God's nothing but a big bully. Does everybody see the problem of this in not paying attention to the promise of God in the covenant with Noah? Didn't he say, I'll never do this again? So why is this guy so ate up? Does his girlfriend break up with him in middle school or what? 
What happened to this guy? He does not know the Word of God. There's hope for you yet. That's great. He doesn't know the Word of God. That's exactly the point. He's operating in a way of himself apart from what God has already said. Notice this. If he should have the mind to drown the world again for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach. What's the goal for the tower in this building project? Well, we got to get it up higher than the highest mountain peak because the entire flood flooded the entire earth. In fact, you do the math and you find out that the ark was able to have buoyancy 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain peak, so it never scraped its bottom on anything. You actually believe in a global flood? Yes, I do. I'm surprised you don't. Please believe the Word of God. Notice it says here, he built a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Refusing to operate according to truth, refusing to operate according to God's justice and His wrath being poured out, refusing and rebelling against God. Hard-heartedness, pride. Well, God didn't give me what I wanted. Well, guess what? God's not obligated to do so. God already loves you unconditionally. He already supplied your son. What else do you want from Him? He's already set you up for success and given you every spiritual blessing. For the church age, He's already implanted the Holy Spirit within us and given us a great mandate of sharing the gospel and discipling people. What else do we need from Him? Let's go back to the Word of God. He who gave His Son, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? If God is already guaranteed to take care of the larger things, then everything else is just piecemeal for Him. God can do it. And so the idea that we would ever raise our fist and shake it at Him and say, God, how dare you? We've lost sight completely. We've gotten out on the island of independence thinking that we deserve more than what God should give when He's already given everything by His grace. Guys, we didn't deserve anything. We deserve hell. Let's remember that. What is the third part? The judgment. Well, go back to Genesis 11, starting in verse 5. The Lord came down to see. Now here's what's interesting. Came down. It's a form of condescension. But it's also in Hebrew the root of where we get this word. The idea of God stooping Himself down is Him positioning Himself graciously in a situation to come down on our level. Notice the Lord came down to see, number one, the city. Number two, the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. Translation, they haven't spread out yet. And they will have the same language. They all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Here's, here's what he means. The extents of evil that are capable for this unified people are mind-blowing. And so, in an act of judgment, because they've done wrong and not listened to us, we're going to disperse them out. And it's also a means of grace. We're going to disperse them out so they won't be as evil as they could be. Look what it says. Come, let us, same as the Genesis 1, 26-28 language, the Trinity, that's what we're dealing with here. Forgive the terrible design. Let us go down there and confuse their language. Here's the reason. So that they will not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh scattered them abroad and there over the face of the whole earth. Yahweh brought them into obedience. They had no choice but to obey now. 
and they stopped building the city. Where's the grace in this? Well, it's verse 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Interesting about Babel. Babel means gate of God, but it's actually rooted from the word that means confuse. Interesting how that goes together and how God likes to wordplay like that. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there Yahweh confused the languages of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Here's what I love. God could have killed them and He didn't. God could have easily brought judgment and He didn't. He had mercy. In fact, here's something interesting that you see is from the time that the flood is over up until the time of the cross of Christ, the wrath of God is not poured out in a large form, worldwide fashion anymore. It's actually considered a time of rest or what's considered a time of divine patience. You find that God withholds all the wrath that He could have cast out on sin and instead He turns around and He pours it on His Son for you and me. That's really amazing. It really is. So, what do we learn about the third dispensation of expansion? Well, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's a responsibility. The failure is that they devised a plan to disobey and said, nope, we're going to stay together. God confuses their language and judgment and divides them. You need to keep this in your mind for next week. And the fact that the languages of the earth are scattered, filling the whole earth as Yahweh had commanded. The various nations are established by their common tongue. Now, here's one thing to think about. Notice that even though there is this diversity that was brought upon them because of the levels of their sin, they're still all one people. Does everybody understand that? So when we have all this talk about racism and races and all of this other stuff going on, recognize that that also is rooted from a sinful mindset that is trying to create divisions where there's really not any. If you follow the genealogy of the Bible, we're all from the same people. You and I all got roots in Noah and his wife or their sons and their wives, and you trace this back even further, Adam and Eve are a great, 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 great to the umpteenth power granddaddy and grandmothers. Okay? So let's make sure that we understand that. So a question must be asked. Does the state of expansion work well to govern? Were they successful? Spread out. Okay, God, let's go over here. No, they weren't. It didn't work at all. What God says needs to be done. I put this together for you too. Now, real quick, I'm not a techie person. I actually did this, okay? I'm just saying. I know. Save your applause for later. Okay. What are the distinctions? Notice from the three that we've seen. Before it was eat from trees and plants. In conscience, it was the same idea, but now we get into a situation where you can eat meat. Before it was have dominion, rule over the earth, uh, every created thing on the earth, because they're in a state of sinlessness, which is interesting. But then dominion is lost to Satan at the fall. How do we know that? Because this is the reason why Jesus keeps saying that Satan is the ruler of this present age. He's the God of this world. That He uses that language because the crown that we had was forfeited at the fall. Satan took it up and began to run sin amok on the creation. How, in the expansion part, fear separates mankind from the animals. There's no call for dominion that's mentioned. In innocence, there's no murder present because it's a perfect environment. In conscience, Cain is a murderer, and yet God shows His grace in putting a mark on him and protects him and says that He will exact vengeance on anyone who takes Cain's life. We all sit back and we go, well, Cain doesn't deserve that. He's cold-blooded. Like, yeah, but that's God's grace. Now God decides to take a facet of this new dispensation and bring in capital punishment, and it's a life for a life. What was the specific command in the, in the dispensation of innocence? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what that stands for up there, okay? In conscience, there was no specific command. Why was that? 
Because the idea of knowing good and evil starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and it carries over into that. And that's why God's evaluation is everything they want to do is wicked all the time. He couldn't make that evaluation if they didn't have the capacity. Does that make sense? So they know good and evil. They're just choosing not to do it because they're self-serving. They want to be independent. What is the specific command that's given in the dispensation of expansion? It's the idea of filling the earth. All of this is just a kingdom tragedy. It's just the opportunity to have some sort of rulership on the earth, being a viceroy under the almighty king and creator of all things, and all we can do is just fail, fail, fail. It's kind of depressing. Charles Ryrie wrote this in his book. I encourage you to get it and read it, Dispensationalism. Dispensationalism reveals the outworking of God's plan and the historical process in a progressive revelation of His glory. It magnifies the grace of God, for it recognizes that true progress, not human progress, not I think I'll do it this way, true progress can only come from God's gracious intervention in human society. In other words, if God is not central and intricately involved and integral to every facet of it, it will fail. It will always spoil and be corrupted. It says here, if there were not cyclical interventions, God getting involved every time with this, then the course of history would be only downward and entirely pessimistic. See, this is what makes the church so valuable. We're actually a people that claim to have hope. How in the world could we claim to have hope when we're seeing our distant forefathers like that just destroying and ruining everything? And if we have to be honest, we're still kind of doing that now. We're still kind of making those mistakes now. The reason is, is because the hope is never found in us. Any hope worth having has to be eternal and the hope has to be found outside of us. And and God has graciously put that forward in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only hope that is available. You say, well, why is He the only way that's so narrow-minded? It's not. God wasn't obligated to provide any hope. But because He's a gracious God, because He loves beyond our capacity to understand it, because His desire is for those who are furthest from Him to bring them into His family. Why? Because He uses the weak things that confound the strong. He loves to do that. He loves to take the people that have no business being at His side and drawing them near. That's the compassionate heart of our God. How does He do that? Jesus Christ. Perfectly God. Perfectly man and perfectly dying a criminal's death so that you and I don't have to. What is the Gospel? Christ died for our sins and rose from the grave. If you believe that, you are saved. If you are here today and you have a lot of friction with that or you don't understand that, I'm available to talk. I would love to talk with you about that. Try to make it as clear as possible. Because recognize this, God is for you. And He wants nothing more than for you to be on His side. He's provided Jesus to make that happen. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for great mercy that we see and also tragic failure in how we would handle things and how they would fall apart. Lord, our lives, if we focus on them, are just a testimony of inadequacy. We expect so much more of ourselves as if we can control it, as if we can handle it. The great secret is is that we can't. We were never designed to. We were always designed to walk holding the hand of our Savior. That is where we are supposed to be. Always. Always. 
And when we find ourselves in a state of confusion, when we find ourselves overwhelmed, when we find ourselves beaten down, when we find ourselves thinking that we're living our best life, we have to ask the question, are we holding the hand of our Savior? Are we in sync with Jesus? Are we in tune with the grace that is lavished upon us from the cross? Is it His life that's being lived? Or have we asked Him to get in the back seat and we'll do it on our own? Lord, there's a lot to learn. Seeing the hearts of people that are so selfish that they refuse to do what God wants to do and are trying to establish themselves as being special apart from you. Lord, I know that breaks your heart. It grieves you deeply. Father, help us to reflect and ask the question, are we living a life apart from you? Are we disconnected from you in some way? Maybe we're here, we're not a believer. We're lost. Our destiny is not sealed up because of the cross of Christ. It's actually in great question and in great peril. Today is the day of salvation. Father, in whatever way that the Holy Spirit needs to move on our hearts, whatever way that the Word of God needs to penetrate our being, I pray that we're open for you to do that now. We ask it in the name of Christ, our King.